Oh, it's good to be in the house of God tonight on Sunday evening and uh, thankful for what the Lord has done he, these few days. Amen. As I shared with you Friday night, it wasn't the uh, problem of not knowing what to say, but just how to cut some of it out. But uh, I believe the Lord is going to continue to make this word live in our hearts, bring it to fruition, and uh, I am excited about what God is going to do. You say, well, you talked about some bad things, that's true, but also, on the other hand, there are great things at work in the kingdom of God. It's going to be, uh, yes, apostasy on, on one hand, but Revival in the, on the other. Amen. Just a move of God. So I appreciate your pastor for allowing me to come. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to be in this part of the world at this time. I look forward to it. And I don't want to take up a lot of time talking, but I appreciate, would appreciate your prayers. We are uh, <clears throat> excited about the kingdom. And uh, I shared with you how that I had given up my apartment in Israel because I felt like we should take those funds and use them for other means there. And so we are planning on what we call the gathering there in uh, Israel uh, sometime in the near future. We had hoped to do it the past several, several months, but because of the uh, restrictions and regulations that never, never developed. So we were going to do it September, dates conflicted, and uh, we're shooting now for, for December. Now, what we do is we would bring those pastors and their wives together. Mind you, that's not, a, not very many. But uh, we bring them together and we, we pay for everything. We put them in a, a hotel, we have a conference room and so forth, and uh, just share the Word of God, the Word that I've been sharing somewhat with you here these last few days. If ever they needed a revival anywhere in the world, it's in the land of the Bible, the book, the Israel. Uh, we desperately need uh, divine intervention from heaven. So if you'd stand, would stand with me, I, uh, I want to finish somewhat in the vein that we have been working these last few nights. I want you to turn with me, if you will, uh, several verses, uh, different parts of the Bible. I'm going to be reading from Numbers chapter 14, 6 through 10. I'm going to skip to 24, verse 24. And I'll be going to the 17th chapter of Matthew, uh, 26th chapter of Matthew, the 22nd chapter of Matthew, and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you say, well, you're going to be reading all night. But kind of necessary to give you a scriptural backdrop of where we're going. I am a, a firm believer in exclusiveness. The kingdom is for whosoever will. We know that. But once that decision has been made, the kingdom of God is exclusive. We are people born of the Spirit. We are not of this world. But when it comes to, as I've been sharing with you, with the, for the end of days and the times ahead, there's going to be a special uh, 
a, let me put it this way, a great need for people who have a different spirit. I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit necessarily. I'm not talking about a different spirit about them. We need people that will have this hunger and desire for God that is beyond the norm. And I, I want to have that kind of hunger, don't you? I keep remembering the words that the pastor or the minister asked the young man as he walked out of the church here before that revival of what, over a hundred years ago, much over a hundred. Why don't you do something for God? Amen. I want you to hear what I believe the Lord would have me to say in this final service. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jepune, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us, fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. In verse 24, but my servant Caleb, because he had, had another spirit with him, and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. And then in Matthew chapter 17, verse 1, kind of a total different setting here now. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an, into an high mountain apart. And was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses, and Elias talking with him, then answered Peter, and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man, until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. Then in chapter 26 of Matthew, starting with verse 36, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here, while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and begin to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tear ye here, and watch with me, for many are called. Let me go to, okay, let me, chapter 22, verse 14. For many are called, but few 
are chosen. And finally, verse uh, 1 Corinthians 1.26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. I, I title this, Men of Another Spirit. Now that, in the universal sense of male and female. I want you to pray with me tonight. Father, thank you. I confess this last and final service that I have no talent. I have no ability that would affect anyone, but I look to you as my source. I'm looking again for that fresh oil and fresh unction and fresh anointing. I pray that same oil upon the people. And I'm going to give you all of the glory and the honor for all that you do. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. The clash, I guess is the best way, the best word of heaven and earth run throughout the Old and New Testament. From the very beginning, you have Cain and Abel. Both of them are religious. Heaven accepts one, but it totally rejects another. And then if you look at our text in history, you see that in the lives of David and Saul, both sinned. One's kingdom ended while another, another's will be eternal. You know, it actually seemed that David's sin was worse. You know, I've looked at the scholars and they say not so. I'm not sure how to debate that. I'm not here to debate it. But I can tell you that David was a very flawed man. Yet God saw in him, I mentioned it this morning, as a man after his own heart. In Acts 13, 22, it said he gave this testimony. It's amazing, isn't it, that God testifies. He gave this testimony that he found in the son, in the son of Jesse, a man after his own heart. Why? Because he was different. He had another spirit. And I, I have been intrigued for some years concerning Caleb and Joshua and that term, another spirit. It wasn't used of Joshua at all, but it was certainly implied. And all the, the Bible scholars that I know, that I read of, you know, say that it was implied. That Joshua also had that another spirit, if you will. And out of all the princes of Israel and all of the millions of Hebrews, these two chosen of God to possess the land, the promises, and then to enter into the rest of God. Again, what was different because the word another means different. What set them apart from the thousands of princes of Israel and the millions of Hebrews that came out of Egypt and crossed that desert? And the question is, what sets any of these apart whom God not only calls but chooses? That, that, that verse intrigues me as well, if, if, if you will, because it said many are called, but yet few are chosen. You know, I believe there is no doubt that this principle in our text runs through the Old Testament and the New. Many are called, few are chosen, and I believe those chosen are apostolic. Again, I want to clarify that. I'm not talking about some particulars movement and their belief in the Godhead, but that word apostolic means a messenger that is called a 
and sent by God. And I have been encouraging the, uh, the Pentecostals there that of my persuasion all across the country to regain that word, to take that word. And it is, it is needed in this hour. The church needs to be apostolic in the sense that it is called of God and sent forth of God. And so do we as preachers. You know, we have a lot of people going today, preaching, ministering, but they're not sent. I dealt with that in the gathering, especially the first gathering in January of 2020. I dealt with that in Spain here just a, a month or so ago, how that so many today, and I call that one of the great train wrecks of Christianity. Many called, but not chosen. Many going, but have not been sent. You know, some would call that a little edgy, kind of pushing the envelope, if you will, that somehow that choosing, the choosing of those with a different spirit seems exclusive and not a God thing. Well, I, I'm here to tell you that I do believe that when it comes to the call of God, there is an exclusiveness about that. People say, well, God is not a respecter of persons. And again, that statement is often taken out of context because it is used when that sheep that Peter, you remember, was up on that housetop and the sheep was let down with unclean and clean animals. And God was saying to him, you know, uh, there, there's not clean nor not unclean. I've sanctified it all. And he was saying to Peter, there is not a Jew nor a Greek. They're all going to be clean in my sight if they come to my son. So God is not respecter of a person. He, it, neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, bond nor free. But it's not talking about an unexclusiveness. You see, in this light, God has called all to have that another spirit. But yet few are chosen because they will not accept that call of God. And if we've ever needed for people to be able to hear that in this hour that God is calling us out of the doldrums of religion and out of a stale stagnant, uh, a spiritual uh, condition that we have found ourselves in, and especially in 2022. No, it didn't start with COVID, and it started a long time ago. I just turned 63 last month. I know a little bit about the church in yesteryear. I, I was raised up in it, and I was there in those days at the tail end of that, uh, what you might say, revival. Things, but Things were changing fast. And in all the 42 years plus of preaching the gospel, I have watched that change come faster and faster. Many are called to be pioneers, but few chosen again because they will not accept the call. But folks, this is not a random drawing. Here's the key to this. It is not a random drawing. It, it, it is not just a predestination, if you will. It is the heart, the heart is the key to everything. That's the reason over the generations, you know, many generations since the church's birth, that God has found someone, male or female, that he's been able to touch their life and use them for his glory and his honor. I, I was listening to 
A pastor again this afternoon talk about a particular lady in this area and what uh, the events that took place that sent her to the, uh, the the continent there in India and how you know God used her. But it's just it, the difference was is here's a here's a woman at this time a person that had a different spirit another spirit that God could touch her and use her like David whose heart was after God even though he was a severely flawed man. I mentioned about him, I think it was this morning, you know, uh, he, he was, if you think he's not a chosen vessel, look again, his, his throne shall be eternal. The Son of God, our Savior, will sit on the throne of David for eternity. The tabernacle of David will be restored. And, and we find that, listen, and all this, this or, or I should say this exclusiveness spills over into our text, into the New Testament. I want you to look at it again. When Jesus takes those three disciples, now he had 12, is that right? We know one of them was a hypocrite and ended up being a, uh, you know, a, a traitor to the cause, but at least 11 of them were really knew God. Of course, of course they knew God. Their names are inscribed in the foundations of the holy city. But these three, there was something about Peter, James, and John. We don't have a lot of clarification about it. We just know that Jesus chose them those three to go to the mountain of transfiguration. Why Peter, James, and John? Why not Matthew and, and the others and Nathaniel and others? Why these three? Uh, when you look at that, he took them to the mount of transfiguration. There he, he revealed to him the glory, his glory as the Son of God. And then a little later, he takes them at the end into Gethsemane and reveals to them the, his himself as the son of man. But in that revelation to these particular three, we see that there was something about them. I really believe this different than the others, especially when you read about John, because John in his gospel made this statement. He said, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, you know, you might think that John just kind of had liberty and felt liberty to sneak that in and nobody was going to, but I'm telling you, either it is inspired or it is not inspired. And if it is inspired and we believe that it is, then the Holy Spirit of God allowed him to put that in the book, the disciple whom Jesus loved. There was something about John that was different. I, I think, you know, we can get a good picture of that when you see him at the, uh, the supper laying his head on the breast of the Son of God. God. There was an intimate love about him for the Savior, and he said, Jesus, I am the one that Jesus loved. Of course, he loved them all. You know, I, I, I find it that sometimes we, 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 we get this thing kind of in our own view, and I tell folks, and please don't do it now, but you know, you can leave here tonight, and uh, if you want a little challenge, go, some, go look at the scripture and try to find the verse that says that God loves everyone. 
everybody the same. I, I, I'm telling you, I've heard that all my life. I've even quoted that years ago. And then finally, a friend of mine who was a great, great, brilliant speaker said it one in one service that we were preaching together. And I, I being a friend, I said, you know what? I've tried to find that. Uh, maybe you can help me. And, and he just kind of looked at me. You know, it wasn't a challenge. We were very close friends. So he comes back and he said, uh, I can't find that in the Bible. I said, no, because it's not there. You know, it doesn't say that. Of course, God loves everybody. John 3, 16. But it does not say he loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. He did not hate him with the vehement hatred, you know, when you think of the word hate, but the same kind of hate where Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, hate your father and your mother and your wife and yourself also. Uh, we know you can't hate your father and mother. That's against the Ten Commandments. It just simply meant that he loved Esau less than he loved Jacob. So when we look at this, there is an exclusion about this. There was something about the heart of Peter with all of his all of his issues and about the heart of James and about the heart of John. So let me let me get out of that real quick. Joshua was called Moses' servant. And when you look at that in the Hebrew, it's amazing that word servant in the Hebrew means attendant. And in my mind, when I was a boy, and I'm this old, I remember when gas in the United States was 26 cents a gallon. That don't even pay the tax today, folks. But I, I, I remember back th in those days, we had what they call gas, uh, uh, gas attendance. And it was a young man with a cap on, and he usually come out, and he worked for somebody. And he came out and filled the car up and cleaned the windshield and checked the oil. And he was just, a, he was an attendant. He, he wasn't even the main guy around there. But that's what, that's what Joshua was. He was Moses' attendant. But the key here is that he had found the way, Joshua that is, into that rest of God that I was talking about the other night. And I'm going to be brief, but I, I'm just telling you that I know that Joshua had entered into that rest of God. That's how he entered into the Canaan, out into Canaan land. And, and again, we went over that how that God told Moses, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. And then we find how that in Exodus 33 and 11, when Moses was there in, the, in that tabernacle or the place of gathering, not the tabernacle with the badger skins and all of that that came later, but the tabernacle, the place of gathering, he was there and then he went out into the camp, but Joshua stayed behind. And he stayed behind to do what? He stayed in the presence of God. He departed not out of the tabernacle, the Bible said. Listen, these accounts were written for our examples. It reveals why only, uh, why only those called who will ascend to enter into the presence of God and into that rest will be those who are chosen in the end time. The chosen will be those who have chosen, who have that another spirit about them. 
him. I'm, I'm sorry to say that I don't really believe that the whole church, let me put it like this, in America at least, that all of the church is going to come to this place to where that they enter into that rest of God and find the presence of God in these days of the end. I don't really believe that all of the church is going to come to that place to where that now they make known the manifold wisdom of God to principalities and rulers and powers in the heavenlies or in the universe. I'm sad to say that. I'm not questioning anyone's salvation. I'm just telling you I'm not, I don't believe that everyone's going to come to that place. I don't believe that everyone's going to come to the, to the place where they're involved in making sure the eternal purpose of God is being, being manifested in, these in, in this end of time. Again, folks, we found that during the time of COVID in 2020, I've made this statement more than once, that in the United States, 32% of American Christians quit going, and they did not expect them to return. That's one-third of the American church that, that, that was knocked out, if you will, during the time of COVID. So I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, if an epidemic or a pandemic can come and cause one-third of a, of, of a nation's church or believers, uh, evangelicals, to fall by the wayside, then what would the next pandemic bring or the next catastrophe free or, or, or the, the next calamity that comes to our country or countries. So I, I'm sorry, I just, I, I don't want to be negative, but I just don't think everybody's going to, to be on board with all this. I don't think everybody's going to have another spirit, but I believe that everybody can, and that I believe that everybody should. I, I believe that everybody should want to be a part of the church of the end of days that, you know, are doing the work of the kingdom as we near the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When these, spirit, when these spies were sent out, into Canaan land. These men of a different spirit came back with a with a different report than the others. You know, you know the story. I don't have to preach over that. Ten spies, twelve all together. Ten came back with a negative report and said, we can't do it. We might as well go back. But Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it. God will enable us. God is going to give us the victory. And, and, and that's where I want to find myself in this day, that I'm not to lose hope and say, no, you know, the church is going to be swallowed up and that it's totally going to be a useless entity in this hour. It's not going to be a useless entity. It is going to be glorious. It's going to leave here in glory, in the glory of God. It is going to be used of God Almighty. It's not going to be some, uh, again, some entity, if you will, that tries to find a, a, set, a, set, a place, a new catacomb uh, to dwell in, to hide in, to live in, in this end time, no matter how much persecution comes, or no matter what happens, that the church of Jesus Christ will rise to the occasion. I believe that. I believe that it's going to rise to the occasion. We've lost a generation or generations, if you will, of young people around the world to the church. In the United States, we try to Retain them with uh, religious rock concerts, live shows, a thousand other things. But, you know, no matter what you do, it does not take the place of the Spirit of God at all. 
I was in Jacksonville, Florida in April of 2018 when the Lord began to deal with me about this, about the end of time and about the church. I was there on a Saturday night staying in this facility that the church had and I was to preach the next morning and the next night. Now I was actually going over my notes, I was alone, I was going over my notes on a Saturday night in that facility where I was staying, but I wasn't going over the notes of the, for the next day. I'm going over my notes for a pastor's conference in Connecticut, uh, maybe a week and a half or so later. And as I'm there looking at my notes, I, I don't know how to explain this, I, I just say the Holy Ghost he either filled the room or he, he just came, rose up and filled me. I, I don't know, but he was there. I, I felt the presence of God in such a strong, strong way. And as I was sitting there, I looked down at my notes and my eyes came across the word Eli. Anybody remember the high priest Eli in the tabernacle at Shiloh or at the Jews call it Shiloh? You know, they found that. I've actually been there. And so I, my eyes came upon the words Eli and I was weeping. I don't know why I was weeping, but I'm weeping. I'm wetting my, my page, the pages with my tears. And I know that I heard that still small voice of God say to me, much, much of my church and ministry in this country have the spirit of Eli. They can no longer hear, their ears are dull to my voice. They can no longer hear what I'm saying. And their eyes have grown dim till they can no longer see what I'm doing. Man, I, I, I was weeping so hard. And when I looked down at my notes again, right under that, I had written by hand, actually, the word Samuel or young Samuel. And when I looked down and saw that, here's what he said to me. He said, but in the end of time, in the days, I will raise up young Samuels and they, young Samuels, will prophesy. I will raise up young Samuels in this hour to declare my word and to prophesy in this end time and to be a voice in this age. I said, God, how? How will you, would you do such a thing? He continued, you remember what my word said about Elijah, how in the end of time, the spirit of Elijah, and we know he came with John the Baptist, I understand that. But again, most Bible scholars, the old ones especially, believe that in the end of days, that the spirit of Elijah would come again. Now what that means, folks, I, I don't have the answers to all that. I'm just telling you what I heard in my spirit. And he said to me, what did Elijah, he said, you, you read, I said, yes, Lord, I've, I've read that. I understand that. He said, what did Elijah do? Well, I didn't have time to even respond. He answered his question. He said he poured himself into Elisha. 
And that's all he said. He poured himself into Elisha. Well, I, 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 I don't have tonight all that time to go a little later on the things that came about with that and what I saw afterwards, but I just tell you this. I do believe the scripture when it said that God is going to raise up sons and daughters. In the end of days, he would pour his spirit out upon all flesh, that your sons and daughters would prophesy, that your young men would see vision. I believe right here tonight in this church there are sons and daughters that uh, they may not seem like they're the, the spark of fire exactly, but I, they love God. They're in the kingdom. They, but, but somehow in this end of time, the Spirit of God in a sovereign way is going to come and touch their life, and they, they will begin to be used of the Lord. Young men will see visions. And as I mentioned this morning, we old men are not left out we're going to dream dreams and in that in that God you say well you know it's the youth of much, most churches today don't really have a very very strong spiritual mindset well I understand that I know that in my my country as well now there are exclusions to that and exceptions to that and there are churches that are exceptions but I, I, I do believe that God well I just believe God is going to keep his word if that fails, then maybe the other part will fail. And if that fails, maybe this part will fail. And then finally God gets down to the end of it and he can't keep any of it. If you believe that, you're in the wrong place tonight. And I need to go home, hang my suit up, give it to the, to the yard sale folks and put my Bible away. But I don't, I believe what he said. I believe that in the end of days, God is going to keep his word. That somehow he's going to raise the but in, 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 in the, the spies that came, the, the people were ready to stone them. I'm here to tell you that this religious generation will reject and try to destroy those with another spirit. And will try to destroy those with a different spirit. Those are anybody that has real life, the life of Christ. Religion always despises that. It always tries to to destroy that. You know, here in Joshua and Moses, it was time for a new leader to come and lead millions into the promised land. You know, some estimates of two to six million in the beginning. I don't know how many they ended up with. So when it comes time to lead them into the promised land, whom does God choose? One of Aaron's kids? What of Aaron's grandsons, Levite, ministers, Moses' attendant, the gas station operator, because he had a different spirit. Numbers 27 and 18, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay thine hand upon him. Call him to do, to lead the people from this day forth. Somebody might say, but no, no, they, there's no way that could work because he doesn't even have ordination papers. He's not been through the school. He doesn't have the papers. How is it possible? In fact, he is not even a Levite. I was sitting upstairs on one occasion, and I'm, I'm telling you, it just came. It just came. 
Not one Levite who was in that wilderness for the 40 years, except the younger generation, what, 20 and below. But not one Levite, not one who was in the ministry of the tabernacle, not one who carried, who offered sacrifices, who burned incense, not one who carried holy utensils around, who played holy trumpets, who carried the holy ark, not one of them crossed into the promised land to fulfill the prophetic intent of God. I have no knowledge or I'm not speaking to their salvation or their eternity. I'm just telling you not one of them crossed to fulfill the intent of God in the land of promise. To fulfill the prophetic word. Out of those sanctified Levites who started the journey 40 years prior. No, no, listen. Not one, but two heavenly men. Two of a different spirit that fulfilled, were ready to fulfill God's eternal purpose in that hour. In crossing that river, Joshua and Caleb, neither one called for service to the ministry of the Lord. I mean, they weren't really not, neither one of them was qualified in the way that we would qualify them today. There, neither one of them would have been someone that we would have chosen I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're looking over a whole group of people here who were Levites, the religious, the well-known Old Testament church leaders. But, but sadly, not one of them had a different spirit. Not one of them had, an, had, a, had another spirit. Not one of them was like Joshua who spent the night after Moses left, you know, left, left the tent in the tabernacle with God. I like to think of it like this. I, I don't know that Joshua was, was married but I'm fairly certain that he probably was and and uh, so I, I can just see Joshua comes in the sun's coming up and sits down at the breakfast table and I can hear his little girl say Papa where have you been all night you're just now coming in and I, I can hear Joshua say I spent the night with God I spent the night with God the presence of God his spirit was different about him but you didn't find any of the other Levites there. They weren't clamoring, trying to get in to the tabernacle to spend the night with the Almighty. They, they weren't, you know, I shared that the other night. They, that's why God rejected them. That's why they could not enter in because of their unbelief. Because the presence of God is the rest of God. And none of them really wanted to get into it. They didn't want to really, you know, get beyond the little religious system that they had. For the Levites, folks, it was about service and ritual and methodical practice of worship and offering of sacrifices and tabernacle business and that that is all that they had on their mind just kind of doing it like we've done it and you know I'm not throwing off on about uh, you know I'm very careful with that I'm just telling you that you know people they do that in the sense that they just feel like nothing can get any better that this cannot change I, I took a church many years ago I was a very young man 
man where a pastor had been there for 29 years. And man, I'm telling you, the, the, the fist was the hammer, so to speak. And so when I go there, I'm all excited. And I come in, man, and I'm preaching that God wants to send revival. And at the end of time, you know, I'm thinking it's the end of time back then. But I, I, I'm just saying God wants to do something. But he had told them for 29 years there's not going to be a revival. Just hold on. You are, you are one of the only holy groups around. And I use that word holy. We are one of the only holy groups around. And you just kind of hold on. It's not going to get any better. It's going to get worse. There's not going to be any. And just try to hold on till the Lord comes. And then I come in and I'm preaching revival. And God wants to move. And I stir up more of the devil than I knew what to do with at 30 years old. I mean, it was easy for me to stir up the devil, but I didn't know what to do with him when I got him stirred up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shock you, and I want to be real careful how I say this. I sense that the Lord is going to again remove much of the religious system of our time. When I say the old guard, I'm not talking about old folks. I'm talking about myself, if I say that. But the old guard that has such a view and practice of ministry in this hour, and I'm not talking about accepting this, this new thing. That's not what I'm speaking of. But I'm talking about believing God, that God is going to do something to fulfill His Word among His people in the near future. That God is going to raise up a generation. They're not all going to hell in a handbasket, but that God is going to raise up a generation of young people in our churches that he lays his hand upon and uses them. When it said that they will prophesy, I said, Lord, what, are you, what, are, what does that mean? Is, are they going to get up and prophesy about a bridge falling in a certain city on a certain day? Or are they going to get up and are they going to prophesy about Ezekiel's war? Or thing? And, and then and the scripture came to me that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And man, it began to burn in my spirit, you know, that in these times that we're living in, the gospel, the testimony of Jesus has been tainted. And man, the, the, modern, the modern movement, the modern evangelical church move but you know has taken that testimony of Jesus and we've made it a lot of stuff that it is not and it no longer a pure gospel if you will I know in the states you know and you know this as well because of the so called uh, Christian networks and what have you the, the gospel is become about driving a bigger car and a bigger house and owning two jets and, and you know, all, a lot of different things that the gospel is not. It, it's a lot of, but I believe that this generation that God raises up, that those things are not going to be involved in the gospel with them. They're, they're going to give a testimony to the power of Jesus Christ. I believe you're going to have young people brought out of broken homes and drug addict homes and alcoholic homes and whose lives have been shattered by sin. And man, what a, what a broken generation that we have. 
around us. My work, my wife worked in the school system for some years with those kind of kind of children that came, that came out of such homes, and I, I it was the, the, it was unbelievable. But I believe that they'll come out. And the greatest testimony of all, I remember. Brother Sam the other night sharing about about his father and how that he came to the Lord and and I couldn't hardly get that off my mind when I went up to the room and the next morning I'm thinking about that again the power of that testimony that simple gospel message that was preached by an old brother many many decades ago and that simple beliefism in that message that changed a man from an alcoholic in a wasted life to a transfigured believer that had an impact, amen, and, and fruit came out of that. I'm telling you, that is the gospel, and that is the gospel that we need so desperately in this hour, for people to be able to give their testimony of the power of Jesus' name. I want to tell you, that crowd, listen, that world is not interested in the theologically brain-dead network. They're not interested in all the foolishness that goes on under the guise of Christianity, they want to hear what Jesus has done for you. They want to hear a testimony of power and the anointing of God. How that he delivered you. How he set you free. How he broke the chains of bondage and darkness in your, in your life. That's what I believe that this younger generation will do. They're going to give the testimony of Jesus Christ. Without all the taint and the foolishness that has been associated with it today. Uh, I was um, in, oh, I'm mine, I'm getting a little older, preaching, I think it was uh, Ju July maybe it was, I'm preaching in Virginia. And at the night service like this, I was there that morning and night and I, was preaching, and when I got through, there was a number of younger couples in the church, but I called people forward just to come stand. And as I was, they came, I was praying over them. They were praying, I'm praying over them. And at the same time, the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord began to speak to me. Now, folks, you got to know me. I'm one of those guys that uh, you, you can get my attention off track. I don't care how anointed I am. If, if, if uh, the PA system gets messed up, you know, there we have, we, we like it loud and all that, you know, and if it gets messed up and goes to making noise and I get, I lose my train of thought. Or if a baby goes to crying and continues and continues and continues, I, I lose my train of thought. But I'm telling you, I am praying over these folks and I, I, I begin to hear that still small voice talking to me and I'm praying at the same time. That is impossible in the natural for me. Impossible. And he said to me about this revival, about this generation, young Samuels and Elisha, that's something that I was dealing with. And he said, uh, it's not going to come like you've always preached in the way you've always thought, the revival. And in my spirit, I'm praying now. And I said, How, what do you mean it's not going to come 
like I've always preached and I've always thought all these years. He said, it's not going to happen that way. The Big Bang, you know, where it takes place in some church somewhere and just and the church becomes so popular and the evangelist and the pastor and they all write books about it and make a million and all of that, you know, and people travel from all over the world and, and it becomes again, it, man ends up getting the glory out of it. He said, it's not going to happen like that. Well, I'm praying. I said, well, how, how is it going to happen? How are you going to do that? He said, I'm going across this land. And I'm going to touch young Samuels and the young Elishas. I'm going to t move in churches where they, there are those young people, especially that have a heart for God, that have been touched of the Lord, that are saved. And I, I'm going to speak to them. I'll call them like I did young Samuel in the night and, and raise them up for my glory. But it's not going to be like that. And he didn't say the Big Bang, but I knew, understood that it's not going to be like that. Well, I left there, and uh, I traveled down to, to preach uh, uh, this little organization's meeting for two or three days. And so I then uh, back again in August in the same area, and I'm preaching, and it's Friday night. I'm closing out what we call camp meeting in this church, and I, I'm preaching, and I, I've come to the end of the service are into the message and I'm kind of down off the stage a little bit there and I'm preaching and the same thing happens. I'm preaching but that the voice I've come to know as the voice of God to me in my spirit said to me, I mean as if he just picked up on the conversation again and he said the reason it's not going to happen the way you've always thought it was going to happen that, that great revival just break out here and there in the way it has in modern times. Now in olden times it was different, you know, because they, they, they didn't have, uh, you know, YouTube and they didn't have uh, social media and they didn't have television and so forth. And so very few people got the glory in that. Always when that happens, God begins to withdraw from, from such revivals. And he said, but it's not going to happen that way. Well, I'm preaching. And I said, how is it going to happen? Or he said, the reason it's not going to happen that way is that he began to talk to me. He said, because if it did, this false religious crowd, that false crowd would take it and touch it and taint it and use it for themselves and destroy it before it even gets started. But he said, they're not going to touch it. They're not going to have that opportunity to do that. And I said, God, how, how, how would they not know? I mean, you know, how would they not know it? How would they not know that it's happening? He said, in the beginning, they will not know. And then eventually, here's what he said. They're not going to like what young Samuel has to say. They're going to be offended by it. Uh, young men and women, old men and women, all of us, to have that another spirit to be different. Those are, the, those are the ones who are going to enter into that holiest of all. But the Levites, it was ritualism, methodical, not Anyone other than Moses, uh, Caleb and Joshua, Joshua with another spirit. 
I just know this one thing. That that heart, the heart like Joshua and Caleb, that heart like the heart of David with all of his flaws, that that kind of a heart will be the heart that God searches for in this hour. He's looking for. He is seeking such. Did you notice that's what Jesus said to the woman at the well in the, in the book of John? And he said, the father is seeking such to worship him. Seeking. God is searching for that another heart tonight, that spirit. I, I'm, I'm closing. I made this statement. Got it in my mind. I've been to Bethlehem several times, and it's amazing. And Israel's so small. I mean, you, you can be standing on a mountain, and you look over here, and I said, you know, that's where uh, uh, Jacob came over. There's the brook Jack, uh, Jabbok down there. And oh, you look up here, and I, I was standing on this mountain, and they said, you know, that's where the Mount of Cursing is. That's where Joshua's altar is. And I had, a, uh, I had the mayor of Samaria he had his gun led in the seat, and he drove me through one of those towns, man, that we didn't have any business being in. And he drove me up to where a military base is, and, and the, the general called ahead and let me go. And there is, they, they found the altar of Joshua on the mountain. I read about it in the Bible, and I think I didn't need this to prove anything, but man, this is amazing. But you can stand there in Israel, and you can... See that, so in Bethlehem, you, you can just go right outside the city in those fields and, and the stable that Jesus was born in obviously was not made out of wood, uh, very little wood, but it, it, was, it was a cave. There's little caves everywhere and the, the ceilings are black where the fires were from the shepherds. And, and I said, you know, David, he's out in those fields with those sheep. And I said, one night... David, whose heart was searching for God. And one night, God got in his chariot. The Bible said the clouds are his chariot, and he rides on the wings of the wind. And God got in his chariot, came down, searching for a heart after his heart. And they met, and it was never the same again. Ever. Oh, God. God, give me a heart. I cannot tell you how many times I have prayed. By nature, my heart is not that way. But I pray, God, give me a heart after yours. After yours. That's the heart he's searching for in this hour. Looking for him. Coming. It's beginning. I was uh, asleep one night in my home. I'm cl I'm closing. Now I have a, I've I have a lot I've had a lot of dreams, and ninety nine point nine nine percent. It's just been what I ate before I went to bed. So it's all. 
But this night I, I was asleep and I began to dream. And I saw myself in this large ancient Colosseum deteriorating like ruins of an old Roman Colosseum. And to be honest with you, it was naturally impossible to see because there was no light. It was just so dim. But there was this little, I'm not even sure, no way to describe it, this little, little gl dim glow, if you will. A little strange glow, enough that I could see the, the uh, outline parts of the Colosseum, the seating, and the old, the old arena floor, and the seats that were crumbling, and the, you know, all of the architecture, but of course it looked ancient, ancient, ancient. And as I stood there in that old ancient Colosseum, black, dark, I looked to my left and I saw a brother in the Lord. Now, I don't know who he was. I couldn't make out his face. It's too dark. But I just knew in my dream that it was a brother in the Lord. And then I looked to my right. And when I looked to my right on the floor of that ancient Colosseum, it was golden fire began to swirl like a cyclone, or a, we call them dust devils in, in the desert, but it just began to swirl golden fire, glory. And it kept getting higher and larger and higher and higher, and it got, it was, a, it was so high up in that Colosseum, and I recognized that in my dream as the glory of God. And then I looked to my left, and the same thing happened to my left. That, that fire, golden fire, began to swirl and get higher and higher and higher and higher. Now you had two, and they were burning. And I saw that the glory had come. And I was so elated, and I remember yelling down, to, or yelling toward that, that brother in the Lord. And I yelled at him, and I said, It has begun! The glory has begun in the end of days. And I yelled so loud, I woke my wife up. And she was shaking me. What's, what's the matter? What's wrong? And all I could say is what I have seen. What I have seen. I couldn't go back to sleep. God help us. I believe tonight the glory, small, but I believe with all that I see as far as persecution and what I'm seeing come against the church and what's being working against us in the mystery of iniquity, I also in my spirit believe the glory of the Lord is beginning. And it will get higher and higher and bolder and larger for the people of God that have a different spirit, that have another spirit, who want to walk with God.
I, I did not come to preach some message of to try to show you an ability or exciting. I came to tell you that it all is beginning. Now, we are the people of the end of days. Would you stand?